Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan, and my guest in this episode is somebody I work uh, fairly closely with in, through the course of the Speedway season. Dave Rowe is a Speedway journalist and commentator, and much more besides as well. You may know him from the coverage on TV with Eurosport, the British Speedway coverage, and commentating on the SEC series. You might even see his name in the Speedway Star every now and again, because he's one of the chief contributors to that iconic publication as well. But that's really the tip of the iceberg. You see that, you don't see what goes on in the background. He's running the British Speedway press office, now managing the Speedway press releases from all of the clubs and getting that out to as many publications as possible. He's also an announcer at Birmingham Speedway. You'll find him in the box giving the heat results and such like. And um, he's also part of the team who are trying to save Speedway at Coventry and ward off that threat of development at Brandon Stadium and bring back the bees to the track. Uh, that's just a few of the things that Dave Rowe is involved in, and he's uh, my guest on this episode of Humans of Speedway. Welcome, Dave. Um, exciting time of the season. Everybody's full of hope. We can almost see it on the horizon now. Some interesting changes. We know quite a lot about the, the teams. Most of the teams have been fully announced, with a few exceptions at the time of recording this. And uh, lots to look forward to, I think, in 2023. Yeah, there certainly is, and uh, it is that time of year when I think most most people are are getting ready for the season. I think certainly when you get to November time and it, it's cold and so on, then you're ready for a break. But then you get through November, Christmas. A um, couple of days ago, I looked outside at five o'clock, and I'm thinking it's not actually dark um, at this stage. So yeah, it's definitely it's coming round, and not before time. As you say, the fixtures are all out. It, it was good that all three leagues got their fixtures out in in good time, and also separately, so they all had uh, a bit of. Uh, publicity around that and um yeah so give it another month february does tend to race by lots of things happen lots of preparations then we're into march and we're all good to go so i I can't wait 
And what are you personally excited about for this new season? Because there's one or two changes. We're going to see the uh, the transponders coming in, of course, which is going to revolutionise uh, one or two things, certainly for, for a referee. Uh, and, and also um, some big names coming back into this country as well. Dan Bewley, Christoph Kasprazak, Niels Christian Everson, to name a few. But what are you excited for? I think it's been a really positive winter in it in a lot of ways and there's been some genuine efforts made to try and take things forward. I think you look at you look at the premiership with riders coming back that we haven't seen for a couple of years and a, a seven team premiership that to me does markedly look stronger than it has done for a couple of years, especially with the, with the COVID years affected. So the premiership looks exciting. You've got you've got new sponsorship with the with the championship and a very competitive league once again. Um, the the NDO as well. I think we have new people coming into that, new youngsters to to look forward to seeing. You mentioned transponders. It's something that um, we've talked about for a number of years, and you kind of think it's never going to happen, but but now it is. So credit to everyone who's who's got involved in that. That there's there is work going on behind the scenes to to marry that transponder business up with other ways of communication that hopefully will become clear as the year goes on all about giving more information more timely information better information and making it a better all-round product in keeping with other motorsport and we're going the right way in a number of ways i believe and and yeah i think it's a really interesting year ahead you last year you, you what took in about 100 meetings there or thereabouts i mean that's a lot of speedway even for the most ardent fan you know i, I don't know anybody who saw more speedway than you last year maybe say for uh, maybe somebody like Jason Edwards, who I think I think Jason Edwards actually is, is the only person I know has maybe actually been in more, been to more meetings than you, and it was only just. It's funny. I spoke to Jason a few weeks ago, and I said it. It did feel at one time like every meeting I was going to, he was at, and quite often he was racing either with or against Jordan <laughs> Jenkins. Um, so it was, um, yeah, eighty-seven was my number of meetings last year. Eighty-seven live meetings plus. Uh, I think it was 11 more events done from the studio. I was, I was hosting a, um, a Grand Prix highlight show on a Tuesday after a Grand Prix at, uh, at Eurosport. So, yeah, very nearly 100 events. Uh, so when you uh, put that across, what, mid-March to early November, as it turned out to be, um, yeah, it did work out at several per week. And and your work is not just um, limited the the commentary, of course. That's that's one string to it. But you're a a reporter for the Speedway Star. You head up the the press office for the whole of British Speedway, the BSPL. So on a daily basis, there's press releases going out. Um, even in the closed season, quite often there's at least one press release a week. Even in the quietest part of the season. But when the season gets going from March, it's going to be every single day. Um, uh, you're involved in the operation at Birmingham. You've also been involved in the um, fight to bring back Speedway to to Coventry as well. So you've 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 got a lot um, a lot a lot of things going on more than just the journalism side and the, the commentary side of it. So you're uh, it, Speedway. I mean, takes up most of your time, I imagine. <laughs> Yes, it does. I mean, I'm also a, a football reporter on on Talk Sport, which gets me through, keeps me going through the winter as well. When there are the quiet times in Speedway, so uh, generally you, you'll find me out at a game most weekends and, and several midweeks working for for Talk Sport. It's good to have that uh, have that variety. But yeah, clearly during the the Speedway season, it, it is pretty full on. The, the the media side of it is is the main thing. Um, 
we'll definitely mention as we go on. We'll definitely mention dear old Nigel, Nigel Pearson, who got me very much involved in the in the BSPL or BSPA as was then side of things many many years ago. Um, so I had worked with him for for a long time. Um, he put together a, a very strong all round team in a number of areas. Um, and when the when the news came through, terrible news uh, last April, um, then it, it was I think a natural move that 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 team as it was would 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 continue essentially doing what they were doing and and yes i have the the privilege of, of fronting it but there are there are lots of people around that that, that do a great job and, and help out so um it, it's not just it's not just me but it's a it, it's certainly a big part of of what i do uh obviously speedway star uh you mentioned there um there's a lot of uh news content that i'm responsible there and also match coverage um speedway star people will be aware changed um quite substantially probably four or five years ago now in that um they used to have a number of local correspondents they they took the decision to take it mainly in-house um i think it's worked out you know, I, I must admit at the time i was slightly skeptical even though i was going to have an involvement in it um but i think the content is strong they're, they're reaching out to many many riders promoters and team managers arguably more than they ever were so i think and the speedway star more than anyone probably have, have done such a job to keep going in the in in the economic conditions and especially during covid that they continued to publish um, a magazine for a sport that had to be shut down for a year pretty much so that was fantastic um so yeah busy with speedway star um i'm the track announcer at uh, birmingham um did have an involvement did take an involvement there behind the scenes briefly uh during the takeover last winter i wanted to, to, to make sure that they did survive and have a real chance to to flourish um so i was involved there for probably three or four months whilst that was taking place stepped away because i didn't want to be too closely associated with one club having taken over the the bspl job so that that, that was the reason for that but certainly I, the people that are there i wish them all the very best and i'm pleased to to carry on having involvement there um which which is which is really nice and and yeah obviously coventry which we'll mention as we go that that was my initial and complete speedway passion what's happened there is you know can find all number of words to describe it but yeah for the last what six and a half years or so uh myself and again a, a team of people have been working very hard on the efforts to uh to hopefully bring bring us back one day coventry of course very important to you i'm going to find out more about it in just a sec um about the where we're at with the fight to to save coventry because i think there is a little bit of positive news um, just to go back to Coventry, anybody listening to this who's what under the age of twenty-five will never have experienced that that day that that so many Speedway fans had going to Brandon Stadium because before the days of the National Speedway Stadium or Cardiff, you know, quite often it was uh, Coventry where where everything was held. There were so many big events: British finals, uh, intercontinental finals, overseas finals. All sorts of stuff used to happen there. Riders championships, and of course, the Coventry Bees, one of the big names in Speedway as well. Um, what was your introduction then to Speedway, Dave? How, how did Speedway come into your life? Yeah, Coventry used to stage the majority of the major events, and in fact, was the it was the Grand Prix venue for the British Grand Prix for the three years before Cardiff so 98 to 2000 it ran at it ran at Brandon it ran the British final for for many many years you mentioned the over the overseas as well world team cups it, it, it had all the major events and they were always very special days and they were always immaculately presented under the Ockletree family um you always knew it worked like clockwork and um that was the the professionalism of the club my 
my time watching goes back to well i suppose in in terms of remembering stuff you're looking at mid well late 1980s um i was taken as most people i suppose taken by my dad um my late father um and certainly the late 80s which saw coventry win the british league back to back 87 88 those are probably the the, the seasons where i most at the moment that's where my first memories are of, of of coventry and the sport in general but it does go back a bit before that and then obviously yeah through the 90s and into into current day but but yeah so many so many big meetings in that venue and so many great nights it, it was a a great place to watch watch speedway and Coventry, of course, because of its success uh, and, and the love that people have for the place, you know, even now, even though the club doesn't exist, even if you have a challenge match like happened last year at, uh, at Birmingham when they took on a, a B Select, and I think there's a plan to do something similar again this year, isn't there? That you know, you get a big turnout of, of uh, fans wanting to see that people coming over from from Coventry and fans from all around really just wanting to see that that race jacket again. So many famous names have worn over the years, and a number of them are still involved in in Speedway. I know uh, Adam Roynan was talking about wearing that jacket and comparing how it is putting on the pool jacket this year as you know in in prestige. Um, and obviously, no shortage of riders wanting to do these events. Yeah, there's never been any um, any problem really in 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 getting riders to um, appear in these these one-off meetings. And certainly in in 2017, which was the first year after Coventry closed, there there were four or five meetings around the country. There was one at one at Pool, in fact, and one at uh, Wolverhampton, Leicester, and, and Birmingham. And and Jeff Davis, one of my colleagues, actually was very closely involved in putting these teams together. And and yeah, no shortage of people that wanted to ride. Gradually, as the as the years have gone on, of course, a few have retired since then unfortunately but um there are still you know several active and uh, some some quite high profile and it's no i don't think any great secret that um birmingham ran challenge matches against both coventry and cradley um towards the back end of, of last season and they had two of their best crowds for those because the interest in in, in those clubs is, is is massive so um there's definitely a demand for it you know i'm really pleased to see the um the plans for a swindon challenge at oxford at the end of march this year i think it's a, it's a great idea um and likewise uh, newcastle select team at, at red car and you know these people have had their speedway taken away and okay doing one meeting doesn't bring it back but it does keep them in the spotlight and people are travelling to these meetings in numbers bringing it back full time though is the ultimate aim and that dream continues you've got your save um, Coventry Speedway group but also save the Brandon Stadium group because I know there's a few stock car enthusiasts also equally invested in this that they want to see motorsport as a whole return to Brandon Stadium uh, and that dream is very much still alive. You had a big boost in November, um, which we'll talk about in a sec, but you initially must be a bit of a shock that Speedway's not going to be returning to, to Brandon after all, and that 2017 season with the Bees not in it was, was a bit strange for everybody, but then that's where the real work for yourselves began. Well, obviously it was a massive shock to everyone um, when the dispute if you like happened at the end of 2016 into 17 it became clear that that there would be no prospect of, of running Coventry and the idea of running a Coventry team at Leicester in the premiership was was a complete non-starter and, and was quite rightly tossed away um so there was going to be no speedway that year that that was clear and 
um, a group of people got together to to say, well, we're going to try and fight this and uh, and see what we can do. I, I I can blame Jeff Davis, who's a tremendous people will know him as a, as a great photographer and, and comes up with the the covers for Speedway Star. He's um, probably the biggest driving force um, in this. Um, he's he's our generally our, our spokesman. Um, he did a radio interview. Um, I think it was the day after it became clear Coventry weren't going to run in 2017, and the the radio host asked him uh, in a sort of a concerned voice, what are you going to do with yourselves now? And, and, what, and what's Dave Rowe going to do with himself now? And Jeff said, well, I can assure you, we're going to be fighting every every inch of the way to make sure we bring Coventry back. And from then on, um, yeah, it's been committee meetings, it's been meetings with councils, it's been phone calls, it's been, it's been huge documents to contradict the evidence that's being presented by developers that is just, in some cases, laughable but, but damaging. And... You're right. I mean, over the last six years, we've frustrated them. I, I think the developers have had a, a big surprise as to what the groundswell of opinion has been and the reaction from the the public when we've called upon them to, to, to give their views. It's been unprecedented. And certainly in the last um, few months, a couple of things have happened that make me more optimistic. Certainly the rejection of, um, of planning, a, a universal rejection from the planning committee going against recommendation to, to do it um, was was big. They've also put together what, what's known as a notice of motion, which actually forces the council to take a, a serious interest and, and look at the the real ways in which they could bring the sport back in the very much in the way that Oxford Council were very much against the development of their stadium. So there is stuff going on that, that does make me certainly compared to this time last year more optimistic you're right to say that the stadium itself is in a you know it's in a, a dreadful state the way the developers have, have, have handled it is, is diabolical but clearly that's that's their tactics the track actually i think the track you could turn around in in not too long um the main grandstand is in a dreadful state and whether it would ever be suitable for public use again i'd be skeptical but the thing is the the stadium is there the terracing is there the you saw the job done at oxford in turning around a a, a, a site that was full of weeds overgrown and whatever that was dealt with um so i've got no doubt we've got no doubt that that brandon is still the best place and the most viable place to run Coventry. And as we've always said, as long as it takes, we'll we'll keep on going. Certainly feels like the momentum is with you at the minute. The wind's in your sails. It sort of turned a corner slightly with that decision in November. And and let's see where things go from here. But it's a, a big, big step. How has the, like I say, the return of Speedway at Oxford um, giving you hope because... It, it it also shows to the council in in the Coventry area that 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 it can be done. You know, it has been done not far away, just down the road at Oxford. Stadium has been brought back into use. They're now having some of the biggest crowds in British Speedway week in week out. Um, you know, it's been a great place to watch Speedway, and it shows that it can be done, and it has been done in the last year. So it must be a great example, perhaps. There, it gives you a bit of hope for the future. Well, we've uh, we pointed out to the council over the last uh, year or so the the way in which Oxford Council had had approached this, and and they had very much been proactive in in, in saying no to development, and, and eventually it's led to the developers effectively giving up, or at least um, allowing the the sports back in, um, which is what we would we would be after. And we felt with 
with the council in in rugby. It's not been a it's not been a bad relationship or anything like that. But you you get the feeling that they're kind of more more, more neutral over it and perhaps haven't fully appreciated the significance of the sport to the borough and to the wider area and what they had. They had international professional sport. They had riders from all over the world. They had people from all over the world coming for not just speedway but stock cars. Brandon used to stage the world stock car final every three or four years, gets crowds of 11,000, 12,000. Uh, people, again, from all over the world were, were coming, bringing um, tourism, uh, helping the local economy. Um, and I'm, we just weren't quite sure that the people fully appreciated that you know councillors come and go councillors change elected politicians change do they really know what they've got on on their patch and i think gradually we are heading in that direction and uh, obviously um the developers i think thought that they would get it through they've, they've tried a few times in various different ways um they've tried to prove that the stadium was was unviable as it was which was an absolutely laughable tactic but and thankfully it got it got kicked out an independent report absolutely pilloried what, what they were coming up with and of course the latest tactic is to try and um, replace the the Speedway Stadium with a an all-weather football pitch um, which apparently will have a a greater benefit for the local community well how you quantify that you know I've absolutely no idea um, and thankfully again that was the that was the application that was rejected out of hand in in November so we await their next development whether they will appeal that we don't know yet they have six months to do so and we're only about halfway through that 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 time so we don't know um or will they come back again with it with a further revised um application again uh that's that's uncertain but one thing is for sure whatever does happen we'll be ready for it and, and we'll fight it just as hard so what next now then for 2023 do you think you're obviously waiting for for what comes back in in some respects but um what, what's your hope for the next six months 12 months yeah, so there's two there's two things realistically ongoing. Um, obviously, people will know about the well. The, th- the third thing, I suppose, the people will will know about the court case that um, they uh, the developers were uh, taken to court over their uh, lack of compliance with a community protection notice, basically not keeping the local residents safe by allowing people into the the stadium, etc. Not not securing it properly. They lost that, although incredibly, we're told they're appealing it, which is extraordinary. Um, but that's really a, a side issue. The um, so the planning application itself they have until early May, I believe, to declare their intention as to whether to appear or not. We did check that a couple of weeks ago, and there's been nothing through as yet. But as say, they could leave that till pretty much the uh, the end of the end of play on that before before they do. So we don't know. Uh, so probably the interesting thing at the moment is the outcome of the. The, no- the notice of motion as to um, that that was done in early early December. The resolution was passed that the council have to take a serious look at the options that could exist for bringing the sport back and recognising the the significance. So there are some meetings um, scheduled in the not too distant future to work around that and and see you know whether there is any 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 way through with it so certainly the next the next two or three months will be will be interesting um can't say for sure whether we'll hear anything or be able to have anything anything publicized um but as ever i'd say there are things behind the scenes going on and as i said at the start certainly the last year or so things things do look up it was a a real minefield a year ago um a lot of frustration uh, about lack of communication and all sorts that that's definitely improved um and yeah next next few months will be interesting well keep fighting the good fight there dave because 
I think um, you know yourselves, and obviously you've seen what happens at uh, it's happened at Oxford and the, the uh, sort of a different project, of course, but the the North Side situation with uh, you know Steve Lawson and, and the crew there who have gone out and built a track and, and started from scratch there to bring Workington back. So it is great that it is possible to see these names coming back to Speedway, and, and hopefully Coventry can be another one sometime soon in the future yeah the work the workington project looks absolutely superb you see the pictures what's going on there i, I hope to get up there this season myself because what they've done there is remarkable and, and and they brought a club back that was um lost at derwent park three or four years ago and, and they brought them back and hopefully they'll flourish in the ndl and who, who knows beyond that and people have shown that it, that it can be done and, and you don't need fantastic facilities to be able to provide something that gives everyone their enjoyment and and I look at uh, a lot of admiration for what they've done at Redcar uh, when I'd I'd never been there before 2021 been there five or six times now great racetrack great community family friendly atmosphere good viewing uh, really everything you could want Uh, and that you know, if that's the model going forward for for several clubs, then then that's that's absolutely fine by me. Swindon, as you mentioned, there's another one. I think it's so disappointing, and the Abbey Stadium is still there. The track is there in mint condition, and what's happened there? Again, I think it's got a lot of questions about it. That that again, people people have been deprived of their sport, and they've not really had they've not had the answers. And and I, I don't like this word viability. It's um, it's used too often in in development, um, and quite often there's no actual, no real. I won't use the word evidence, but there's there's nothing. It's used as as a convenience in my view, and and certainly, Swindon is one that's disappointing for me for several reasons yeah it's, it's it's not viable for the for the developers that's what that's the thing it's not that it's not a viable speedway club because of course we know that's that's not the truth but it's just not viable for them having a speedway track in the middle of their housing estate uh that's the problem that they need to sort out that's about right yes. um okay well yeah all the best to anybody who's involved in in those projects and yeah definitely looking forward to seeing what, ha- what happens with workington as well when they get uh racing there and that track looks tremendous built to fim standards as well and you can see the long-term potential uh plan and dream for uh for them to bring some top class speedway to that part uh, of the world um for you dave then um going back to sort of the beginning then uh, was was a career in 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 speedway journalism always one that you were aspiring to or were were you you know when you were uh school college university or whatever what what was the aim and 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 uh, versus the reality <laughs> there, there was there was there was never any aim on journalism and i've got no media or journalism qualifications whatsoever um it's all been by experience and it's all things that have happened um things that have come together at uh, shall we say just the right time or at a convenient time um that have sort of led me down um this path i i guess it it goes back really to my time at warwick university that was in the the mid to late 1990s um and a couple of things that i did there and neither of which were actually anything to do with my degree um one of them was a um a student radio station on campus um so that got me into broadcasting uh because after three or four months there i was i was hosting um music shows and i was also running their sports department so that got me into reporting on football matches and getting into that environment so that that was one side of it um the other thing was that my well my degree was in um was in computing um and rather than spending too much time on that computing degree, um, I actually used a great deal of time um, in building a website for Coventry Speedway. 
Um, and that's at a time when when the internet was only really just becoming fashionable. We're talking, uh, as I say, probably nine, about 96. Um, so at that time, Speedway Club didn't have their own websites. Um, this one was only the second UK Speedway Club website. The first one actually was Middlesbrough. So um, so yeah, mine uh, coming out of Warwick University was, was a Coventry site. Fairly simple website, um, just mainly text, a few logos, and it, and it was news updates, match reports, stats, and so on. And of course, it was completely unofficial. So it was my own view from the terraces. So um, if the team wasn't performing or uh, maybe if I felt the track wasn't very good or the club was getting something wrong, I'd say so. Um, I always felt it was um, fairly measured, uh, but it was completely my view as a fan. Um, and I suppose I wondered at the time what the club really thought about it. But anyway, um, so this was towards the late 90s. Into the early 2000s um and by this time the clubs were switched on to the need for improved communication they were getting their own websites and the person doing coventry um was a guy called mike berry very good journalist a really established journalist great writer um he publishes a nowadays he publishes a a magazine called um backpass um which is uh, a retro football magazine really good read um mike actually emailed me a couple of times to check some details and whatever and then out of the blue he emailed me and asked if i'd be interested in writing the reports for the official club site and that was just before the 2002 season um so what that meant was that my own website basically stopped um we called it a merger uh we said right my website's merging with the official site and you know join me here and etc etc um it was unpaid but the bonus was um, I didn't need to pay for a season ticket because what I now had um, was a press pass for all meetings at Brandon. And that was for the 2002 season. Um, there was a real thrill on that day, um, turning up on press day, being in the same room as people like Billy Hamill, Andreas Jonsson. Um, I've got to admit, I was quite wary of Colin Pratt, who was the promoter and manager at the time. Um, I guess I knew that that they knew that this was the guy that had been writing the unofficial website previously and was now sort of on the inside. So um, I actually kept a fairly low profile in that first year. I, I just did what I was there for. But what happened over over time, and certainly in the next couple of years, um, Mike had a lot of commitments elsewhere, and he was gradually stepping away from, from day-to-day Speedway involvement. Um, and suddenly, really out of nowhere, I was finding Colin Pratt was phoning me with stuff for the website. Um, and Colin was an absolute gem, absolutely brilliant, completely different to how I expected him. Once, um, once he trusted you, then that was it. He would, he would back you in absolutely everything. That was the case with riders, officials, whatever. Even if you were in trouble with something or you'd done something that was wrong, he would still back you if he trusted you. And, and he was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then, you know, so in 04, I took over the program at Coventry and in 05, they gave me the job as, as press officer. I did that at Brandon right up to the closure. So that was, that was really how it all started. And it's, it, it started from, from a, a university project that wasn't, um, uh, writing a website to, uh, to being invited to come in on, on, on the, on the main scene. There's no going back though, is there? Once you cross the tracks, you know, you, 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 as you say, you were the fan on the terraces writing about your own thoughts and, you know, it's a passion of yours. You go, 
go to the speedway, you pay your money at the turnstile or whatever, you go in and watch and you can have your opinion and go again. I think w- once you become involved in the sports, and it probably goes for other sports as well, but once you um, are behind the curtain, uh, maybe slightly, that you, you, you have to look at things from a different way and you maybe find yourself then understanding more why certain things have maybe frustrated you in the past have happened because I think fans often get frustrated with things but there are often so many usually there is a very good explanation for for decisions that have been made not always but usually there's a very good explanation you do see an awful lot more I think to an extent the the mystique goes I don't know how I would be now uh, going back onto the terraces, if that ever happened, if you know, if, if I ever stopped doing what I do now, and and uh, I, I'd still be a speedway fan. There's no question about that. That was always my passion. But you do you do see an awful lot more. Um, it's funny because on the on the website I wrote, um, there's a, a a guy called Pete Barringer who films for um, for Clean Cut Sports, also also based in Coventry, and he used to travel to away matches a lot more than I did in those days, and quite often he'd write reports for me for my website. Um, from places like Poole and, and Ipswich when Coventry were there um, and now he's also very much involved and, and, and last season he was um, he, he filmed for Coventry for many many years last year he did some filming for Eurosport which, which was great um, and we often have a laugh that goodness me look, what we were doing in the late 1990s has turned into what, we, what we're doing now um, when it really is a, a major part of business but you do you, you do see an awful lot more and you have an understanding for what goes on behind the scenes and you have to develop a way of reporting things I like to be you know I like to be accurate I like to I like to bring in my opinion whenever I can um I call it informed opinion um and I think you you can get your you can get your view across in a respectful way and doing it in a correct way and and that's what I always try and I, I try and be as as transparent as I can to say as much as I can but you do have to accept that sometimes there are things you hear there are people you speak to and that conversation goes no further. And, you know, I might speak to five promoters in the same day, and sometimes one of them might, might tell me something that I can't tell the other people because it, you just know that you, 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 don't, you don't breach that confidence. You have to be aware of certain information that might be happening in two or three weeks' time. Um, different way of working, um, but you're absolutely right. You, you do, and you learn very quickly um, the way to go about it and, and the best way to get respect. That respect is you need it being a journalist because you, you know you are there aren't always um, not really ever sort of formal press conferences. It's not like um, say if you're a football reporter, you you have the press day like a, a day or two before the match. You go along and the people are, are put in front of you and you you sit there and you uh, record or write down what's being said by the manager or the the players that they get out. Whereas with Speedway, it, it usually involves you. Um, you know, WhatsApping or ringing or or whatever these riders to to get their words for the Speedway star, for example, it's not there on a plate. They're not coming to you. You've got to go to them. So if you want to have that chat with those riders, and you've got to develop that um, relationship probably fairly early. You know, they, they come through the ranks in in the youth teams, and and you know, you might be reporting on them for twenty years potentially. Yeah, that's right. And I think I do think that one of the things that that has improved drastically certainly the, the the current the current crop of um youngsters the rising stars the 19 20 21 year olds they they're all they're all very very media savvy and and I think because they've grown up in the in the age of mobile phones and and as you say and, and filming yourself and twitter and tiktok and everything else and they are they're absolutely brilliant in 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 in, in um in their interviews and and their technique and so on um i i like 
Speedway far more than football in the respect that you can you can walk up to a rider and basically speak to him whenever. Now you so you do have to know your time, and and um, it's an interesting challenge when I when you're doing the um, the pitch reports. I do the pitch reports sometimes on on Eurosport shows, and you have to know your riders and when you can approach someone and when is actually not a good time to speak to someone. But again, that that's a case of respect and uh, and a bit of experience. Whereas in football. Um, we, uh, as, as part of the work I do for Talk Sport, um, and certainly after a Premier League game, you have to talk to the managers afterwards. They get brought to you in a, in a, in a room afterwards. Um, but you have a very limited time. You have a normally have a press officer standing alongside who's who's basically taking note of everything that gets said. Um, normally, they're they're trying to do a hurry up and, and make because the manager has to get to somewhere else. Players are off and off limits. Um, the whole thing in speedway is far more relaxing. That generally you can just walk up to someone and talk to them, and they will give you the time that you need. So that's what I like about about speedway more so. Uh, than, than, than football in that respect and, and generally in Speedway there's, there's very few people in Speedway who aren't accommodating and aren't understanding of the need to, to, to get themselves out uh, to get their message out when they say it um, it's a two-way street so I won't I won't stitch anybody up I won't um, I won't report something that's not been said um, if there's a story that emerges yep I'll run it if you know and I won't uh, shy away if there is some controversy then 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 we report it as long as everyone's happy with what they're what they're genuinely going to say uh, but I won't go looking for trouble and uh, people know that I think when when they speak to me then they'll get an accurate reflection of that whether it's in print or if the the audio gets used on a on a podcast or something <laughs> so um yeah it's, again it comes down to respect and and, and 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 knowing again knowing who you can deal with and in speedway the vast majority of people are, are really good to deal with and you know being in the media for a rider is is important as you mentioned as well you know it's it's not just um, for the interest of fans to keep up to date with with everything that's going on it is important for riders and we hear stories of riders you know there's riders that we've had on the official British Speedway podcast who have been signed for other teams based on how they've spoken on the podcast. You know, I think it happened with Tom Brennan. He was, he, it was just when uh, the thing with Eastbourne was starting to go wrong and, and Peter Fasena heard him on the podcast and he was like, this guy sounds like he knows what he's on about. I know you, I know he can ride well, but he, he's, you know, you get that. I, I never got a chance to speak to him and I like how he's, how he's talking. And, and, and the same for, for print interviews as well. You know, it, it does keep you front of mind, I suppose, with those decision makers in the sport and, and maybe sponsors as well you know that uh, that they might want to be involved with you yeah i think that's right and it's interesting that certainly over over this winter i've actually had a couple of riders approach me and say look i've got a decent story about what i've been up to um can we can we run this somewhere and a, a recent example was um i, I was in touch with uh, with joe alcock who had a, a terrible crash at um at scunthorpe um early last season when he was riding really well for for kent um and there was a great story behind it because he he recovered obviously he long road to recovery was out of action for the rest of the season went off and did the three peaks challenge in early in the closed season uh climbed three mountains in just over 24 hours um and is now fighting fit for for next season and it's great to get that sort of story out there it's um something a bit different to just to somebody saying, um, you know, I, I scored twelve points that night, then I scored thirteen, then I then I scored three. It's more, especially at this time of year. I think you want to get more into the characters of sport, the human interest side of it. Um, and we have so much in this sport, and it, interesting people to to talk to. Uh, and and I think you're absolutely right. People are understanding more and more the need for that, and it's really interesting to 
to hear that yeah the promoters are taking are taking note of what people are saying and looking at that before they sometimes before they sign riders and who knows if you've got two riders on a similar average well maybe they're the way they operate or the way they project themselves on a personal level maybe that tips the balance if if, if it's uh, a case of two riders who are very even in terms of in terms of scoring so it's all about the the complete makeup and and perhaps that's more and more important now yeah I, th- I think it is and um there was an interview i read with um with danny ford and you know they were talking about um Obviously, they've they've signed Carl Newman and Adam Roynan at reserve, both very very good riders. And obviously, there was a number of riders they could have had based on the on the on the points and stuff available. But you know, he was saying that we, we've got to choose also the the right people for the group. You know, that that group dynamic and and the atmosphere in the pits and in the changing rooms and and all that. And so that does really come into it and maybe you can gauge that a bit more through an interview yeah there's definitely um i mean you always when, when a team is doing well winning championships winning leagues and winning being top of tables you'll always hear there's a great team spirit because that's natural i think in, in any sport any any team that's going well um they will tell you how how harmonized things are behind the scenes but but there are there's no doubt there are clubs and there are managers who really place a massive importance on that um and you can see it year after year and you can see it when riders go back to clubs year after year um that they're that they're comfortable in the environment and the way that the the manager and the promoter works and the way the club does things um from a, a point of view of talking to people there's no doubt i have riders that i i see as go-to riders especially if you need a line from a club when that club is not doing well there are still people that you know you can talk to when things are tough and and and, and, and i get a lot there's a lot of respect for them because they will they will say it how it is um but they won't um they won't slag people off and i think that's a, a sign of a stable club even if you know you may have lost three or four meetings the the, the, the obvious solution or the solution in, in some cases is to sack everyone and start again and that's actually not the way you build a club the, the way you build a club is by and I've seen it time and time again I saw it with, with Coventry going back, to, going back to Colin Pratt you don't just make multiple changes you actually work with people um, and you get the best out of them the, the, the big example is Chris Harris who had a, a terrible first year or so with, with Coventry but they got him they got him fixed up turned around good equipment place to live um, and, and away he went so it's that whole atmosphere Sphere of the club, the way they operate, the way they project themselves, and that eventually that will translate over time. You won't win it every year because no one can predict injuries or another team having a great year or whatever. But you look at the the picture over many years, and generally you see the clubs that that, that get it done right. Dave Rowe, uh, my guest on Humans of Speedway, uh, Speedway journalist and also commentator. We'll talk more about Speedway commentary in the next part of this podcast because his voice can be heard on the British Speedway coverage on Eurosport uh, and also on the SEC, the Speedway European Championships coverage, where he's the lead commentator alongside Sam Ermolenko. But find out why it was accountancy that perhaps Dave would have been heading towards were it not for the um, gods of Speedway reeling him in Uh, we'll speak more about that in the next part of Humans of Speedway Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America You don't just go for a road trip you ATV and zip line through the jungle You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway, especially if this is your first time. Well, the good news is we've got a couple of other recent episodes all ready for you to listen to as soon as you finish this. You can hear my chat with uh, Leon Flint and his dad, Gary. Leon, of course, the British under-21 and under-19 champion. His dad is team manager and co-promoter of the Berwick Bandits. So uh, that's a good one to listen to. And uh, also I recently chatted to Adam Roynan, who has recently signed for the Pool Pirates for 20. 2023, but a rich history of Speedway um, under his belt as well. So uh, listen to those and many, many more besides once you've uh, finished this one, where we're chatting with Dave Rowe. We've talked a little bit about uh, journalism, but we haven't really talked about how it all began with getting into this whole commentary lark. It's a very specific job, Dave, to be to be getting into. But uh, how did you find yourself in this situation of being, uh, you know, one of the voices of Speedway? Well, I suppose it starts off with with going going full time um in media in the first place which wasn't the which wasn't what I did straight after university because I was training to be an accountant for, uh, for for a number of years um certainly in the early 2000s I was doing a bit of football reporting on the side that arose from from the university um and uh we get to the name once again of Nigel Pearson who has given numerous people over the last 20 years or so their break um, in the sport um, in, in various areas. Um, so I'd known Nigel from the fact that I'd seen him in Midlands football press boxes. Um, his career really took off in the early 2000s. He had more and more work with Sky Sports and with Talk Sport. Um, and similar sort of time to when I was getting involved at Coventry, um, he asked me if I could help with some of his newspaper work when he he was covering um, he was covering Wolverhampton for the Express and Star and the uh, the Birmingham Mail and he wasn't able to get to all their meetings 
So a few times when Wolverhampton were racing at Peterborough or Oxford, um, I went and did the um, the newspaper coverage, and that again was a chance for um, media access in Speedway, which was which was great. See how it all worked. Um, it was the winter of oh three oh four. Talked a lot with Nigel. He was finding the the BSPA job was too much for one person. Um, along with everything else he was doing, he was becoming rapidly Sky's number one Speedway commentator. At the time, of course, Tony Millard was also on the scene. Um, Nigel was getting involved in Sky darts um, and all sorts of other things. For me, um, I was at the final stage of my accountancy exams. Um, so at that point, I had a choice to make. Uh, those exams, the final stage, are a lot of work. So the choice to make was either step away from the media work I was doing, don't take that opportunity, um, or take probably a gamble, which was to go self-employed, see what I could pick up, knowing there were some good contacts around and there was likely to be a decent amount of work, um, and knowing that if I quit my job and quit doing the exams... I could go back to it in a year or two's time if it didn't work out with Speedway, but if I didn't take the Speedway and the media work at that point, then there's no guarantee you probably couldn't go back to it. So it had to be a, it was a, a, a measured decision. Um, there was a personal side to it, um, which is that I'd lost my mum um, in 2003. Um, lost my mum with um, with motor neurone disease, which has been something that's in the headlines quite a bit nowadays. There's a bit, bit more understanding of it, but it's a, a really horrible condition um and ever since then i've sort of taken the view that you you're better off doing something that makes you happy because you never know you never know how long it's going to last for you never know what's going to happen and we've seen that you know obviously in the last in the last year or so so that was the the motivation for going into speedway and media um full-time as far as Coventry is concerned. I mentioned the name Pete Barringer early. He, he started filming at Coventry in the early 2000s. Um, in 2004, he asked me if I'd like to commentate on the Coventry home meetings for his uh, DVDs, which I did. And, and I'd never really thought about it, but I did. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it immensely. Did it again ever right up until the closure. Um, it was just literally two hours in my own world commentating on, on Coventry matches with a great deal of passion at times, um, certainly refined my style um, when it came to national audience and, and so on. Um, but yeah, and then various doors opened um, to the point that in 2014, um, Eurosport had rights to Swedish League for a few years and the Speedway Euro Championship, which I've carried on doing. Um, and then, of course, Eurosport getting the, the, the domestic coverage and, and being involved in that. So... It's been going on for a while. Um, like I say, it's a um, uh, my style has, has changed a bit over the years, but um, probably of all the things I do, the actual the match commentary is is what I enjoy the most. It's it's in the zone. It's the passion. Um, it's communicating. It's telling people exactly what's going on. He can do that. He will do that. Whoa! Look at that great race. Bringing bringing the viewer an insight into my thoughts, but also keeping them in touch with what's going on, um, the riders are the heroes, they make the show. Yeah, um, really, really enjoy doing that side of it. Because commentary uh, <clears throat> is always something I've, ne- I've never really done, um, and then now I do it for, for BSN, but it's, so it has been quite a learning curve for me over the last year. Um, but 
I've always had a, a great respect for anybody that's done commentary because I, I have tried it in the past and it is it is hard as as a I think anyway as as a broadcasting discipline goes it is one of the harder ones you know you're not just coming off the back of a Michael Jackson record and then selling a promotion where you can go on holiday and then going into a Madonna record you know that's you know can be tricky for some people but uh, you know I find that fairly easy whereas with with commentary. You know, you've got the, particularly with Speedway, though. I think you know, if you're doing different sports, different sports move at obviously different paces. The fact that Speedway is four guys all very close together, quite often, you know, they're wearing team suits, and so it's very hard to decipher one from the other in that split second of a moment. There's so many little things going on in that minute. You know, relaying that and 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 conversely filling that minute when there's absolutely naff all going on in a heat you know these are fairly fairly important skills that you 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 have to learn that's right so you've got the one minute of action and then you know that there's going to be three or four minutes either side whatever happens where either you're looking at replays or discussing overall so the pace of what you're doing undoubtedly changes um and that is different to i mean in football you have the 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 great moments of excitement when the goal goes in but obviously the game is always going on um the the, the question i always get asked about football is how do you recognize the players and and a lot of it is instinctive at least with speedway you've only got four on the track rather than 22 on the pitch um but (laughs) um it is yeah it's one thing i do find is that i much prefer or find it easier, I should say, to doing work live compared to working on recorded stuff when you know what's going to happen. I think there's always, when you're working on something live, you do not know what's going to happen. Anything could happen. You could see a fantastic race. You could see a fantastic overtake. You could see a big crash. Anything can happen literally in seconds. And that that sort of uncertainty adds to the the drama of what you do. Um, The way I've always felt is that I've always... I've always gone with enthusiasm. I think that's really important. I think if you're, there's nothing worse in my view than a, than a commentator who sounds bored by what he's watching, whatever sport it is. Because if the commentator is bored, then how on earth can he expect the viewers to have any interest? So you want to grab your audience. Wow, this is fantastic! Um, and that was why. Look, Ni- Nigel and Kelvin was, you know, they, they grab people. There's no doubt about that. They knew how to do it. Um, and you've 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 got to have that. But you, it is. It's a challenge, and um, the one thing I'd also say to to people, and look, we we know people will have their views about who they like, who they don't like, and I completely get that. There's, we're, we're all acquired taste to a, to a reason, but but to an extent. But um, the the one thing that I think a lot of people don't realise is that quite often when you're on TV, um, you can be talking, you can be commentating on a race, um, you will have people chatting in your headphones throughout that race quite often about things that don't relate to you at all but they can easily put you off and so what i often say is if you hear a commentator say something quite bizarre that makes no sense whatsoever that may well be because he's heard something in his headphones that he's trying to work out what the heck was that about doesn't matter to him it doesn't have any effect on him whatsoever doesn't change what he's doing but that that's something that can really really get in your head so um there are challenges 
but yeah, thoroughly enjoy doing it, and uh, it's all about for me communicating it with the enthusiasm. Um, and and those distractions can you know can just be some slight little thing because I think you get so in the zone. But I had one, um, I think it might have been at Red Car or somewhere like that where I was commentating, and <laughs> somebody was asking me to go out to do the fifty fifty draw, and I'm like, I'm actually on air at the minute, <laughs> and but you can't say that because you're on on the on the telly doing the commentary, and it's like you just you just have to resort to waving your arms a bit. <laughs> that's like, great we, we have time we have times at football when uh if, especially if the press box is uh is near to the crowd and the crowd something the crowd will turn around to you or want to borrow your team sheet or something um and you say look that, that red light i'm on air and um yeah it's uh, all the things that can go wrong <laughs> all the fun of the fair um you mentioned nigel pearson there and um of course people will know um that we sadly lost nigel last year which was a huge shock to everyone um you have really been the one who has carried the carried the torch for speedway really because nigel was so at the center of the media coverage that speedway got you know in terms of not just um sending press releases out but writing them helping clubs write them disseminating getting the maximum coverage and he was in charge of the press office and, and managing that side of things for british speedway and of course all of a sudden he wasn't there anymore um, you picked that up um, along with the, the the team that you have around you, but that must have been a obviously it was a huge shock to everybody in Speedway. But you were one of the people who worked closest with him, and it's a massive personal shock at the same time. Yeah, it was uh, obviously a tough time for for everyone, and it's still. I mean, it's, we're, we're what nine months on from from when it happened and uh you, you still you know i still think regularly of, of his family and, and anyone anyone involved um i always there were so many moments in that following three or four weeks when it when it hit home to you what had happened um i remember standing in the pits at the croatian grand prix the first grand prix of the year um i was doing some um some pits interviews at that meeting and um all the riders standing on the presentation platform on the center people will be aware of how they did the presentations last year in grand prix and all the riders standing up there and the tributes being paid and the commentary being played over the tannoy i know that um a lot of uk clubs did that as well but um to have nigel's commentary on the on the tannoy at the Croatian Grand Prix, the first Grand Prix of last year, knowing what had happened again, it was a, a real, a real emotional moment. Um, I will never forget the the morning when I heard um, the Thursday morning when I heard what what had happened, and and this very very surreal uh, twenty four thirty uh, thirty six hours or so, knowing what was you know almost certainly going to happen, and and then I was at football on the good it was a good friday call it a good friday um i was at football and 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 during the afternoon suddenly my phone was pinging and the phone was obviously on silent because i was doing football um and it was messaging and there were calls coming in i thought well some you know there's some some something's gone out here someone knows what's what's going on and um i think in that afternoon i had 67 calls of people saying is this true what's happened um so yeah we uh we got the statement out eventually um a brief statement and then further tributes um the next like you say the next three or four weeks were tough the, the funeral which i know you were out yourself in um was a it was an event wasn't it, it the, the funeral was an event um which yeah, is it was it was it crazy was, <laughs> exact probably exactly in the way nigel would have he would have been amazed 
well, I say would have liked it. I mean, no one, no one liked what, what went on, but but it was incredible um, to see what happened. And you're right. Then for the, for the next three or four months, we kept finding out stuff that that we didn't know. Nigel did, and um, absolutely incredible. Everything he was involved in um, from the BSP side, I think um, it was pretty much known. As I say, he had his infrastructure, a lot of people behind him, a lot of good people. He'd been very proactive on the social media side um, in the last four or five years and with yourself in, in launching the podcast the previous year. That was something he'd really uh, he'd really taken upon himself to improve and, and really get off the ground from a BSP side. I'd been focused more on the, the website, media side of things for a number of years. So in the sense of, of, of what I was writing... Um, that didn't change an awful lot. I was still mainly doing what I was doing, but more so uh, taking a more a more admin role, a more a more wider view, and making sure everything was was going on. And, and you know, thankfully, Nigel has a, a brought on a very a very strong team. And, and you know, ten ten years ago, Ryan Guest, who well, nearly ten years now, Ryan Guest, who you hear a lot doing interviews on podcasts and on Centre Greens, he got involved. Joe Appleton in the last three or four years, and now has a job at uh, the Printers Curtis sport um you know jamie at wolverhampton there's there's all sorts of people who who have formed part of that that unit and um nigel had put that team together so the team stayed in one place which was great and um there was uh, it was just fine finding out everything he'd done and and making sure everything did continue and that did happen definitely and 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 all power to everybody it was you know a team effort but i think he would be proud and he would have yeah, I wish he could have seen the turnout they had for for that day of the funeral. I don't think it could have been any more perfect, if I'm honest. And such a massive turnout that the village of Wombourne, which is where he lived, uh, ground to a halt. The cricket club is right in the centre of Wombourne as well, where he spent a lot of his time and a lot of time drinking uh, the old pint of the black stuff, of course. And, you know, there was so many Speedway people there. Kelvin Tatum, of course, um, Chris Louie. I think the whole Wolves team turned out. Sam Masters was certainly there. People like Ronnie Corrie, you know, names from the past. Simon Stead. Um, I, I remember that the one image I really remember is is Jason Doyle standing in the, the cricket club after the, the service, holding a half pint, I think it was, of, of Guinness. And you just say, Nigel would have loved that. You know, Jason Doyle standing in his cricket club that he used to always go to with a with a half pint of guinness in his hand a couple of days before a grand prix he would have thought that was brilliant yeah we we had i mean the the the, the church was was standing room only um there was a private uh, a private service afterwards uh, that that was very very emotional for for close friends you, funny enough you mentioned the order of service and one the one thing that that made me smile uh, on the day the the order of service was a program yes and nigel was so passionate about programs there's no i mean i i love my sports programs i keep all my programs from every event i've been i've got a room next door to where i'm doing this from that is full of programs from like 40 years um but nigel loved programs and it was great that that curtis sport came up with a program for for, for that for that event it was so appropriate uh, and that was perhaps if there's one thing that 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 made me smile more than anything on on that day in amongst all the emotion, then it it was the the program, the order of service, and the choice of music as well, which was um, <clears throat> the, uh, the the darts music, you know, that they play into the breaks. With, doo, 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 doo. So that was the that was how it was played out, and uh, that in the air tonight, which um, 
uh, which which I thought was good because he, he, whenever I was presenting on Smooth Radio, which is how I first really came into contact with him, um, when I was doing stuff there in the West Midlands, and he didn't actually know uh, that I was interested in Speedway at the time, so it was kind of a, a bizarre sort of meeting there. But and I know that that kind of music was right up his street because uh, that's the kind of stuff he would ask, <laughs> he would ask to play, and I get very <laughs> messages from him every, even you know until the end sort of thing, uh, messages from him uh, saying he'd heard. Me me on an advert on some sort of radio because he used to listen to radio stations in North Yorkshire to make himself feel at home so he'd listen to these in his office and he said I've just I've just heard you advertising the Black Bull in Scarborough and I'm like all right yeah I can't see he 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 actually knew more about the radio stations I was on than than I did because he just listened to them all but yeah sorely missed Uh, he was um yeah he he was massively passionate about about local radio because he had that was his upbringing uh um, he he worked for extensively for uh, BRMB and uh, and Beacon in the Midlands, but but you're right. And he 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 would he was disappointed like I, like I think we all are with the way you, you now don't get real local commercial radio like you used to. It's all it's all changed and and it's all for, for in, in my view not for the better, but that's a probably a different story. But um, yes, but right. he was always very passionate about that. There were things he loved and, and he and he loved going home to Yorkshire as well. So yeah. Yeah, Nigel Pearson. Um, and we could talk all day about Nigel and, and not talk about Dave. But uh, Dave Rowe is our guest on uh, on Humans of uh, Speedway. Um, one of the side of it, the Speedway that you, you, you've been involved in or, or remain involved in, of course, is um, doing some of the announcing. And obviously there's there's different announcing at Speedway. Um, Centre Green announces, and, and maybe they provide sometimes a bit more of the um, sort of general entertainment, filling the gap between between the heats and so on. But then you've also got the, the man who's in charge of the the nuts and bolts and let me tell you that the heat times uh surely one of the more more important fixtures of anything that bsn gets asked for it's heat times what's the heat time why don't you do heat times and the simple answer is we've got too much going on and we can't actually hear what the heat times are when they're being announced however people with transponders <laughs> with transponders and the data coming in 2023 your prayers are going to be answered ladies and gentlemen um but tell us about that you know the, the responsibilities there of, of of announcing you sat next to the referee you must have had some experiences in those uh, in those boxes at birmingham absolutely yeah i i started i started announcing at birmingham well really they, they, they came back in they came back in 2007 at perry bar um Nigel was going to be their first announcer um, when it uh, when it when it all kicked off there, um, and as it turned out, he was he was too busy to commit to the majority of meetings. So the first year at Birmingham kind of was a movable feast. There were about three or four of us that all had a go during the year, but in before two thousand eight, um, Graham Drury, who was the uh, promoter at the time and another man I've got massive respect for um, in Speedway um, Graham rang me up and said would well, you want to take this on full time you're going to be there every week anyway doing newspaper work and so on so do you fancy doing it and yes did so and I've been the announcer the the, the, uh, the box announcer at Birmingham ever since you're absolutely right this it's, it's two different disciplines between um, box and centre green I've done a bit of centre green standing in for people at the times um, perfectly honest my, my natural my natural better environment in that respect is the box. There's no doubt about it. Um, centre green, I, I quite enjoy, but of course, centre green, you have the you have the stress if there's problems, if there's if there's crashes and delays and fence mending and abandonments and all sorts. Um, so yeah, no, I, I enjoy the box announcing. Um, like you say, 
you know, alongside the uh, the referee and most referees are, are, are pretty affable guys or guys or girls as, as it is. Um, the timekeeper who does keep the time and um, we announce that to the crowd just that you can't hear it unfortunately. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, it's generally when when all goes well, it's it's not a um, it's not particularly stressful. Where where it does become where it does become stressful and, and professional and important is when, unfortunately, only when something goes wrong. Um, when there are um, important announcements that you have to make, or you know maybe there's been a serious crash, and basically the three of you on that on that front desk are are the front line in terms of you've seen what's happened, and sometimes you will have to help the referee um, in terms of in, in terms of an, an overall agreement uh, if there has been a, a, a crash. Um, if a rider may may get hurt, that if a rider is is seriously hurt, that is all firmly documented, um, and that has to be uh, that also has to be correct. So these sort of discussions do happen. So that, that's the um, that's the um, the more difficult side of it. But but generally, meeting by meeting, um, it, it, it can be it can be good fun. And yes, you you get to hear. I was going to say you get to hear the conversations that team managers and riders have with the referee because that's not entirely true. You only hear one side of it. You only hear the, hear the referee's side of it. And sometimes that can be quite funny when a um, when a rider or a team manager rings up to complain about a decision. And um, I would say 90, 95% of the time um, I would see an incident in the same way as a referee and therefore I'll be surprised if uh, if someone rings up to complain about it. There are, of course, everyone has opinions, so there are times when the referee will say the rider in X is excluded, um, and I'll think, ooh, don't really agree with that, but, you know, so I'll sort of on the microphone, and the referee has decided that the rider in is excluded, and, and that's... You, that you have to do that. that that's the professional thing you don't you can never give your own opinion even if it differs from the uh, from the referee but but generally i think uh, we're in agreement and generally yeah i enjoy that I, I enjoy that side of it it's a good um it's a good night at perry bar and uh, yeah uh, i did so it's something i also did at swindon for uh 5 years or so um Get along very well with with Roscoe. Have done for a, for a number of years. Had stood in there in the box in Swindon at Swindon a couple of times when people were away, and it was quite funny because before the start of the season, probably two thousand and I think probably two thousand and fifteen, um, Roscoe rang me before the, just before their first meeting and said, um, "Oh, can you can you stand in the box tonight, please, mate? Can you can you do the box?" And I said, yeah, no problems. Oh, and can you do next week? And could you do the week after? And because their their existing presenter had left, and uh, yes, all right, Roscoe, I'll be there every week until you tell me I oh, well, you don't you don't need me. And of course, I was there for five years and and enjoyed that one as well. <laughs> Great times with Roscoe. Um, yeah, well, um, maybe Roscoe's another man for this podcast at some point. I'm sure he's got some he's got some tales to tell. Um, back to what you're saying about referees, though. Um, yeah, sometimes referees get a you know get a lot of flack from from all sides, but you know, particularly fans and and so on. But they do have a tricky job, and I want to get another referee on this podcast. We've got one with Chris Derno from a, from a while back, but you know, I have though seen referees hold their hands up after a meeting and say you know, apologize to to riders or team managers. Look, sorry, I got it wrong. I got it wrong, and they only get one look at it. If the match is on Eurosport, they do have the TV replays. But other than that, it's just on what they saw. The boxes are so different in different stadiums. Not every box is on the start-finish line. Some have got you know, some stanchions that make things a little bit difficult to see, depending on where you are. So there's many, many variables. But uh, at the end of the day, they, they are but human. 
No, no, absolutely, and I, and I do think um, this is again something we we could move we could move forward in the if the if the replay is is clearly available it, it, at the moment. The rule book is that um, in a televised meeting, Eurosport meeting. The, the referee has the screen in front of them. They can watch the replays, and that's always that's been the case for for a number of years. Um, there are places, and Birmingham is one, where the um, the, the filming uh, the filming point is right next to the referee's area, so it doesn't take too much to go in and take a look. And and, and I wouldn't be against that happening. Um, I remember the incident that you're referring to, and I was involved in in one last year as well in a in a in a crucial heat fifteen. There was a there was a crash and it was the decision was going to decide really um, who won the meeting pretty pretty much and the referee said who gave the colour of the, I was announcing the meeting and the referee gave the colour of the rider that was going to be disqualified and it was not what I was expecting and it was not what the timekeeper was expecting either and we sort of slightly rolled our eyes to each other but and we're thinking well what's what's going to happen there but the, but what the referee did and when quite often you'll find when when there is a crash the referee will not have the decision announced until he knows the riders are okay or have been dealt with rather than get stuck into that decision whilst they're still having treatment and potentially injured and in that in that three or four minutes whilst the riders on the track were being treated, the referee had, had, had replayed the incident in his mind and I got a bit, I think I probably got a bit confused by maybe the track lighting up into the bend or just the, the exact order of who was where and a couple of minutes later, the referee turned and said to the rider in, this colour is excluded and it was a different colour to the one that he'd already said. So so it's absolutely, we see it in football as well, sometimes the thing to do is not just leap in just take a bit of time to make sure it's right. In this case, the right decision was made, and it was announced, and there was no there was no problem. Um, and so that was probably that was one experienced referee there that did that, and probably used used experience there to to good effect. Yeah, you've definitely got to have a good memory to be a referee, that's for sure. And I say, I think we'd like to talk more about referees at some point, just to get another view of what it's like in in the ref's box. And we'll talk more about referees in the next part of the podcast, in fact, because Dave Rowe is going to design his dream Speedway meeting. Yeah, and with all the knowledge he's got and the tracks he's been to, I'm fascinated about what he's going to pick out here. Um, And that will be on the way in the next part of Humans of Speedway. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. My guest in this episode is Dave Rowe. You might know him from uh, Eurosport. Uh, the British TV coverage and also the SEC. Uh, you might know him from the official British Speedway podcast. He's a regular contributor to that. Uh, also the Speedway star and uh, away from Speedway is also a football reporter for Talk Sport as well. And uh, now we're going to ask Dave to... Well, he's going to design his dream Speedway meeting. If you've not heard this feature before, we've done it on, I think, pretty much every uh, episode we've done so far. And it's a little bit like Desert Island Discs, but with a bit more shale, gravel, and probably a, a soggy hot dog. Uh, let's start off, though, with the first question. Uh, Dave, uh, if you're designing your dream Speedway meeting, uh, we obviously need a track to race on. Now, which track would you choose purely for the racing, irrespective of the surrounding facilities, just the track that's going to give us the racing? What would it be? Okay, well, the track the track for racing um, is going to be Big Gosh. Um, Big Gosh was the first first track abroad that I ever went to, um, and this will surprise you, but but it took until 2014 for the first time that I ever went to watch Speedway abroad, um, and that was when I had the the great pleasure for for several years of working inside the GB camp with with Roscoe. Um, basically an extra pair of eyes and eyes and ears and whatever for what was going on and that the world cup that year was at big gosh i was absolutely taken by the place and of course for a number of years it staged fantastic grand prix there's a, a brilliant race from i think around 2000 uh involving uh hamill hancock gollob and, and lee adams and, and it just year after year and the way gollob got around big gosh um i think it was the perfect the perfect racetrack. There's a lot of good tracks in Poland and a lot of places I enjoy going to. So pleased that this year they're around of the European Championship at Big Gosh because um, it was there in, in 20 and 21, but we couldn't go because of COVID. So it's back there this year and I'm, I'm really pleased to go back to Big Gosh and uh, and commentate on a meeting there. So so Big Gosh is the uh, the dream track. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the stadium as well. But I mean, uh, of, of your... Um well, actually, tell us about your stadium first, and then we'll talk about other places you've been, I think. but um, So we're putting the Big Gosh uh, track in a stadium, um, and this is for the facilities and, and, and for the overall experience. And, and which stadium would you put that in? Well, this this isn't going to surprise anyone at all, but Big Gosh is going into into Brandon. <laughs> um, the Big Gosh track is going into Brandon. There's no no surprise there. I think you could fit it in. I think Big Big Gosh is, is not that much bigger than the Coventry track. I think there's, there's, space, there's, there's space to do it. You could still leave the main grandstand there. Um, the re- the reason why I say Coventry is, is quite simple. That that's where that's where my passion for Speedway was and is, and it's just I know every nook and cranny of Brandon. Uh, like, probably been in in almost every room in that stadium, in the main building, in all the offices. Everything about that stadium is is home to me. So if we could have the the racing that you get around Big Gosh and put it in that home familiar environment of brandon then then that will do me these um we, we talked quite a bit about brandon of course already earlier and and, and what a place it must be but on your journey uh, you know going around europe uh, when you're commentating on these fixtures like the european championships the sec or, or wherever else you've been cause you've, you've done all sorts of stuff grand prix and and, and more um 
tell us about some of the, the weird and wonderful places you've been, because some of these tracks are, you know, particularly ones in Sweden I'm thinking of, you know, they can be quite weird and wonderful locations in the middle of forests and uh, <laughs> all sorts of inaccessible places like that, and, of course, the Polish scene as well. And tell us about those those adventures and, and what it's like taking in Speedway uh, in, in, in other, other countries. I, I thoroughly recommend it to anyone that's not been abroad. I think uh, if you're a Speedway fan, go abroad and experience it in a different country because it's uh, you'll absolutely you'll absolutely love it. Um, Sweden, yeah, you mentioned we went to uh, to Halstavik, home of uh, Ross Bagana, for an SEC round a few years ago, and you're right, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a forest. Um, about an hour and a half away from uh, from the airport, and um, that that was uh, that was a decent a decent trip. Um, there's one I enjoy uh, immensely, a regular one, which is Gustro in in Germany. Very different track to um, majority, uh, quite quite tight, but throws up good racing and quite often a, a surprise result. So I, that's a a trip I enjoy. Did uh, did Russia twice, um, obviously. Uh, before current uh, current tensions, but been to Togliatti a couple of times, once for the World Cup and once for Europeans. Um, quite a challenge to get all the paperwork done, but um, uh, enjoyable. Nothing nothing wrong with it when we got there. Um, so that that was good. Um, Poland, obviously, everyone talks about Poland. Um, I love watching Speedway in Poland. Um, I also love the food in Poland. Um, and the fact the fact that you can watch a meeting in Poland and then you can be in the town square having a meal at 11 o'clock at night in the summer. There's nothing actually, there's nothing better. And I mentioned Big Gosh in the, in the dream track, but you can, you can add Torun, you can add Lezno, you can add Roslav, um, going to Chester Hover this year, which I'm looking forward to not, not being there before. Um, just the whole the whole atmosphere of speedway out there in, in Poland is, is is thoroughly enjoyable. I'll tell you a quick story about um about Ribnik, um, which was the f- the first time we went there in 2016 for a European Championship round. And we went there. Um, we were flying out of Luton, myself and Sam, on uh, the Saturday morning. The plane was delayed, horrible delay, four or five hours. Um, but we we weren't overly panicked because we knew that the the weather forecast in in Ribnik was horrendous, and that the meeting was likely to be rained off and called and, and rearranged for the next day anyway. So there was no no great panic. We landed in Katowice, which was about half an hour from Ribnik, um, as expected. Teeming rain, uh, forecast was absolutely bang on. And uh, when we landed, Sam had a text message from um, to to say that the the meeting had been um, had been abandoned, uh, called off, and would be rescheduled the following day. Um, so. So fine, we, we we took it quite leisurely. We got to the hotel. We arranged to to meet up in the evening, and I, I suddenly sort of got this. Started to look at social media and started looking at a few things, and thought, actually, there's nothing here that says this meeting has been called off. Um, and the rain was stopping. Uh, it was still pretty damp and drizzly, but the rain was stopping. Um, and it transpired that basically the um, the FIM Europe jury had stepped in and said, no, actually, this meeting will take place tonight. You will relay the track. We have a window in the weather. We will delay the meeting if we have to. We will run this meeting tonight. So we were making our plans for um, for a night out in Ribnik um, and <laughs> I almost missed the meeting uh, because if we hadn't been checking the fact that it, that it actually hadn't been officially called off. So we actually got there um, to the stadium about half an hour before the schedule starts on. They then delayed it by another hour or so to, to get it on. But that was the nearest we came to missing a meeting um ribnik when, when when we were in the indications were it was off and then it wasn't so that was uh, that was the end of our first year doing the sec and thank goodness we got there otherwise it, it might have been the only year doing the sec 
Let's cross to uh, Dave Rowe and Samer Malenko now commentating in a bar. <laughs> That's what it would have been. Good stuff, good stuff. Right, let's have a look at your your all-time one to seven now. I'm expecting a few Coventry names in here, but uh, go for your dream team then, Dave. There is a strong uh, Coventry element in this. There's also a strong element of, of riders. I was looking at this, riders who uh may have been world champion in some cases but or, or or didn't quite make it but the first the first one is is Tommy Nudson um Tommy mm. was my first hero in speedway there's no doubt about that I was in his fan club uh when he used to get the the, the fan newsletters he was my absolute hero at Coventry um definitely one of the best riders never to win the world championship but he was captain of Coventry who won the league in 87 and 88 and then I remember he had a big crash in Australia um, in the winter of 88, broke his back um, and therefore was ruled out. We, he actually retired and eventually came back, but um, he uh, he was going to miss the 89 season. And my mindset at the time was that if there's no Coventry, no, no Tommy at Coventry, then Coventry will never win a meeting ever again. That was how that was how significant he was to me at Coventry. As it turned out, 89 started horrendously. And they didn't win a meeting for ages, but eventually they they did win a few. Um, so yeah, Tommy Tommy was great, and and I was delighted actually during the during the pandemic. I did a um, a retro Coventry monthly magazine and uh, managed to speak to Tommy as one of the first major interviews on that so yeah really pleased and, and he, had, he had a fantastic career fantastic yeah one of the great names of, uh, of Speedway of that era for sure uh, Tommy Knudsen um, so who's next uh, also Danish um, and very long serving Coventry probably very much towards the top of appearance record John Jorgensen um, not a world champion um, not an absolute what you would call number one rider when he was hooked up around Coventry, he could overtake anyone. And again, during the pandemic, um, I took a lot of time to watch old VHS videos of Coventry in the late 80s, early 90s. And the number of races that, that JJ was involved in with some absolute top riders, some of his battles with um, with Jano Pedersen were, were, were fantastic. And for longevity, he first rode for Coventry in, in 84 and was also riding for them in 2004 as part of the squad. He wasn't quite there all the time, but he was there for most of it. Um, and um, so, so yeah, real loyalty um, and a, a very, very good rider, especially around Brandon. And the Danes were so good in that era as well, weren't they? I mean, they're not bad now, but uh, it, was a, it was a rich time, that particular era. So Tommy Knudsen, John Jorgensen, and, and number three. So we have a third Dane, um, and this is Brian Anderson. And Brian won the under-21 world final at uh, at Coventry in 91. Had a brief spell in the second division with Newcastle after that, but was always earmarked for Coventry. Um, spent the rest of the 90s at Brandon. Um, and for me, was going to reach the top. Um, he, was, he just won the British Grand Prix at Bradford in 97. Um, and then he broke his collarbone. He was challenging for the world championship that year. Um, and then for the next really for the rest of his career he was just riddled with mainly collarbone injuries and was never quite the same but again technically brilliant rider he could overtake he was a team rider lovely style and obviously uh still firm it was always been involved in the sport with engine tuning and now with his lad doing well um in in, in gp3 so that that dynasty will will continue but yeah brian is known as common known at commentary as the axe man um yeah he was uh, definitely a a, a a big favorite of mine yeah it was always a solid rider i remember him 
probably first year he came onto the scene. Uh, he was riding at Bradford, came to ride at Bradford uh, against Bradford as a visiting rider. But when you're looking at riders like uh, you know Hans Nielsen and and, and the like who are, who are around, and some of the other names, Tommy Knudsen that you're mentioning as well, and then Brian Anderson was like the new generation of Dane. It's uh, exciting to watch. Uh, so Dave, then who's who's at number four in your team? Right, moving away from from Denmark for this one, um, but I'm going with one of the all-time greats here, and that's Greg Hancock. Um, who spent five years with Coventry and for me uh, did a lot and, and, and I could have I could have gone Billy Hamill as well to be fair because they both they both were, um, were were big at Coventry in the late in the late nineties but did a, Greg did an awful lot to, um, to to lift the mood around Coventry you mentioned you, men- you mentioned Hans Nielsen and there was a, a little time at Coventry where perhaps some of the big names had moved away they'd retired um, bringing in Greg in ninety seven along with Brian who was just coming up to that level at the time that that really did re re energize Coventry at that stage and Greg. There's also a special reason on, on this one, not just his four world championships, but he was actually the first rider I ever interviewed. Um, it was in 1998. Um, I was doing a bit of work for a, a local agency and they needed they needed Greg Hancock and they knew that I was a Speedway fan. So I, w- I had no qualification to do it, but I just approached Greg after a, after a meeting at Brandon. He was very kind enough to give me five minutes of his time. Um, I then wrote up the interview, literally wrote it, because um, in, in those days we, we, we didn't always email stuff. Um, and for Greg to still be doing what he did at his age and winning four world titles, and I, and I have to say that had he not had the personal circumstances with his wife, who knows, you know, at the age of over 50, um, the way he was gating in his final years, um, he could still be in the Grand Prix now. So, yeah, Greg, definite, definite legend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and much of those, that success came coming at the end of his career as well. Obviously, he had that world title, but the the other, you know, three sort of all came late on as well and uh, showed he still, and he still has it now. He's um, uh, been teaching some of the, the youth riders as part of this, this USA meeting that's happening. So now passing on his... Uh, his, his own knowledge and um, his own son coming through as well in, in Wilbur and, uh, and and I think uh, Carl behind him as well. So I think the Hancock dynasty might still be uh, with plenty to offer for Speedway yet. So, um, OK, who's your, who's your fifth? Fifth rider is uh, Andreas Jonsson of, uh, of Sweden. Um, came to Coventry as a youngster in 98. Um, probably the, the best newcomer I've ever seen in terms of someone that really excited you from the first time you saw them. Um, he made his debut in a cup tie, a cup semi-final against Wolverhampton, um, which was always a big, obviously a big tie for, for Coventry. Scored paid 13. Um, I was checking this back actually. In, in, in his first three rides for Coventry at Brandon, he beat Sam Malenko, Michael Carlson, who became Michael Max, and Mark Loram. Score paid 13, and so in, instant hero status. Um, could do things on a bike and could go to parts of the track that really nobody else could. Massive natural talent. Became a world number two. Think would have become a world champion had it not been for the fact that he operated at a really strong time. His peak was probably late 2000s, and at that time you'd still got Jason Crump, Greg Hancock, Golob, Emil coming through, Yarek Hampel, Nicky, Chris Holdicke. It was a real, real strong time. And that's probably why Andreas Johnson never quite won, a Grand, won, the, won, won the World Championship. But yeah, consistent Grand Prix, Grand Prix performer and Grand Prix winner and brilliant rider to watch. 
Yeah, as you say, it's a good point. A slightly different era, and uh, he could have won some some significant silverware. But great rider nonetheless, Andreas Johnson. So uh, looking good so far. Uh, a few slots left. Who else is in the team, Dave? It's looking good so far. Okay, well, um, I could not possibly leave out Chris Harris, who is an incredible legend of Coventry and and the sport in general, and still going at the age of forty. And I, and, and a lot of my favourite. Coventry moments since I started working in the sport and also commentary moments have involved Chris Harris and the races he's been involved in and just the uh, the overall influence he can have on turning a meeting by doing something really special and the the way he's captain teams and I, I could also have mentioned Scott Nichols in the same breath um, I, I, and Chris had more time with Coventry so probably that that's what gave him the nod but the way in which they the the they uh, approached the team ethic, um, the, the, what the club meant to them, and just the moves that Bomber has pulled off over the years and still is doing now. And the, the year he had with Peterborough last year was Bomber at his absolute finest. Um, so I want entertainment in my, in my team. So there's no doubt that, that, that Chris Harris goes in. Yeah, absolute legend, and I can't believe he's 40 when you just mentioned that there. That's incredible, but I think he's actually getting better uh, with, with age. I mean, he's actually learnt to gain in the last season. He was out the traps and, and into that first bend before anybody all of a sudden, but uh, we love those bomber moves for sure. Uh, okay, and um, what? well, last couple of slots on your team there, Dave. Well, this one is, 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 non, is non-Coventry, completely non-Coventry, but I've got to go with the current world champion, um, Bartosz Marslik, who I think has the potential to uh, break a lot of records in the sport with the level he's, he's currently at. I think he's a fabulous rider to watch. I love it when you can watch a rider who you can really tell when he's on the chase, on the prowl. He's really hustling and thrusting that bike. Um, and I think he's got the current Grand Prix system nailed down to a T. The way he does it... Um, Obviously, in the Grand Prix at the moment, every point, every individual point is not vital. You have to make the semi-finals. Then it's then then that's where the the big points are awarded. He knows that he can ride relatively with himself, score ten or eleven points, make every semi-final, and then that's where he gets the elbows out. And um, that's he, he does a marked change in how he approaches semi-finals and finals, where big points are go, uh, are offer, where as opposed to the first five heats of a Grand Prix, where it's points gathering to to go forward. So. The way he does it, I think, is, is spot on for the for the system and for the style of riding he has. He's all arms. He gets across people. He gets into some incredible shapes. But when do you ever see Bartosz Marzik knock somebody off or get involved in an incident? I think he's phenomenal. He's got incredible strength, um, bike control, three world titles. We're all hoping that the likes of Dan Bewley push up to challenge. Uh, really hope that happens. At the moment, Marzik is a level apart from the rest. I make him strong favourite for this year again, and I think he could well ex- extend that run of, of three world titles. Well, it's not a bad lineup, Dave. Uh, Tommy Knudsen, John Jorgensen, Brian Anderson, Greg Hancock, Andreas Jonsson, Chris Harris, Bartosz Schmarschlik. That is the dream team of Dave Rowe. Uh, right, so we're having a Speedway meeting. Um, you might well be doing the announcing in the announcer's box, but next to you there will be a referee. So who would be refereeing your dream meeting? Because you, you, you've sat uh, next to many during the meetings in the, in the course of your career, but who would you go for? 
Well, I've picked several riders who were good enough to win world titles but didn't. So I'm going to pick, um, in my opinion, the best referee to never referee a Grand Prix. Um, and that's Chris Derno, who I think you know pretty well yourself, Ian, anyway. Um, and Chris uh, has worked for the FIM for a number of years, refereed the Grand Prix Challenge a few years ago, is now secretary on, on the long track. Certainly was a good enough referee to referee a Grand Prix. Um, and when you look at people who you, you, you sit alongside announcing at meetings, um, I always look forward to a meeting when I, I see Chris's name on the list you know you're going to get um, a good referee a, um, a a good bloke as well to chat to um, meeting is run in the proper way and yeah I, I hate Chris Derno would, would certainly be in charge yeah, he has done the uh, World Long Track Finals, though, hasn't he? He was on the Long Track um, circuit as, a, as an FIM referee rather than the, the the sort of traditional speedway, if you like. So he's, he, he is up there with the FIM, but, uh, yeah, great guy. Um, and if you were going to um, maybe uh, introduce a rule or, or tweak a rule to some extent uh, for your meeting, what, what I mean, you're very close to the rule book anyway, Dave, but uh, what, 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 would it, what would it be? Some, some would say I'm too close to the rule book, but anyway, yeah, thankfully I, thankfully I don't have to worry about writing. How's it? How's it looking? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you when I read it. Um, the the the, um, the, the, <laughs> the rule I would change actually is um, is actually in the um, the meeting format um, because I think the best format we had was one that operated in the um, in the mid nineteen nineties. So I would have an extra race. We'd have sixteen heats in my meeting, and um, the format we had in the mid nineties was that um, heats one to fourteen were pretty much as we have now, but you have an, an extra nominated heat. So heat 16, heat 16 would be the uh, top two scorers in each team. Heat 15 would be any other two riders uh, picked by the manager. And what I think that does is it um, it just takes away the element where a, a top-heavy team, we've all seen it before, heats 13 and 15, they get a couple of 5-1s, can, can change a meeting. Throwing that heat 15, the extra nominated just puts a bit more pressure on a team to have a bit more balance about them because there'll be two more riders who have an extra ride and you can't quite have the same effect as, as the current heats 13 and 15. So my meeting will be a 16 heat meeting with an extra nominated race. Yeah, generally our meetings are fairly traditional in, in Britain, but there, there are some other ideas going around and I think it's going to be interesting for many fans to see what's going to happen at this USA versus the world meeting because they are trying some different stuff there um, because you've got the, the, the standard team meeting, but in and among there's going to be qualifiers for the uh, individual tournament, which is happening towards the end. And it's going to be very interesting because part of that later on in the meeting is something that's called the last man out challenge and what happens there is you're going to end up with four riders so four riders come down to the tapes the tapes go up the riders do one lap and then the checkered flag comes out so it's a one lap race whoever's last is out okay okay so the remaining three riders come back around to the tapes again the tapes come down the tapes go up they do another lap same thing checkered flag immediately after the one lap whoever is third is out so you're left with two riders hope you're following this uh the two riders come round and they have a two lap sprint race uh, a match race um to win that tournament so you know something a little bit different there and there's gonna be loads of races about 30 races in the whole thing so um certainly gonna be a busy night and some new stuff there for, for people to get their uh, their eyes around as well um right let's move on to your opposition then who is going to be your opposition for your dream meeting this has to be a an actual team that did exist at some point in time so dave who would that be the the opposition would be Cradley. 
um, and there's a further proviso on this one is that the meeting that that I'm running at at Brandon Stroke Big Gosh will be an evening meeting, and we will have been at Cradley in the morning in the uh, in the first <laughs> leg, if you like, uh, because that was always that was always growing up. That was the perfect the perfect scenario was Cradley against Coventry at Dudley Wood uh, at eleven o'clock on midday. Um, the pork signings at Dudley Wood as well. The atmosphere, the two clubs. I always felt it was a fairly friendly rivalry. It was a big rivalry, but it wasn't quite. Come Cradley Wolverhampton could get really, really, uh, really big at times. But but Coventry Cradley was always very strong rivalry, um, but normally decent decent respect. Um, and another club that's that, that's at the moment is, is sadly missed. So it would be Cradley would be the opponents. Yeah, sounds like an amazing event, and uh, certainly with the, providing the pork sandwiches in in the first leg as well, then. Uh, Everybody will be fully fueled. Um, thanks a lot um, for, for that, Dave. It's uh, it's been great chatting with you, and I'm sure lots of people will be interested to, in your uh, your thoughts about your your dream meeting and some of the stories of your uh, expeditions as well. And uh, look forward to to reading your words uh, for the for the forthcoming season as well, no doubt. Thanks, Ian. And yep, yeah, just to say to everyone, uh, hope you keep well over the over the winter, and look forward to seeing uh, lots of good racing in the spring. And uh, Ian, yep, look forward to catching up with you very shortly in the season. My thanks once again to Dave Rowe, Speedway journalist and commentator and much more besides as well. And you'll be able to hear Dave uh, back on your tellies when Eurosport's coverage of British Speedway begins in May this year for their uh, coverage of the Premiership. Uh, and of course, Dave will be involved in the SEC coverage, the Speedway European Championships, when that uh, returns later in the year as well. And of course, keep up to date with all that Dave's been up to in the Speedway Star, where he's a regular contributor uh, week in week out uh, with the various match reports that uh, you can see in there my thanks to you as well for listening if you want more humans of speedway action well there's plenty to go at but the most recent episodes before this will be our chat with leon flint and gary flint leon being the berwick bandits captain for 2023 and the reigning under 21 and under 19 british champion uh, talking all about his incredible year in 2022 including riding at cardiff for the british speedway grand prix uh, all that and much more and of course gary his dad is the team manager and co-promoter at berwick as well and a, a former rider himself so some great stories in that one and prior to that we spoke to adam roynan who signed for the pool pirates in 2023 talking about uh, his career and uh, everything he's been through through the course of his uh, long career in British Speedway don't forget to like follow subscribe or whatever it is on your particular app of choice so you don't miss any of the future upcoming episodes of Humans of Speedway we'll catch you on the next one very soon Sports Social Podcast Network Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.